Hello, welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Today on the show is Dr. Amen. You may have seen him before, you may have followed him on social media. He is helping people understand how to have a healthier brain. He is a psychiatrist and he's also specializes in brain function, has 10 clinics. I recently went and had a brain scan done by him and it shows just blood flow. It shows where my brain is lighting up. It shows the shape of my brain and whether or not there's holes or receding areas. Such fascinating stuff. Thankfully, my brain looks pretty good, but it can always be better. What we talked about was just like what it takes to make your brain better, what makes your brain bad, what your brain actually does and why you want it to be a healthy brain. Why do you want blood flow like what does that do and then of course we got into some sports stuff we got into concussions cte we touched on psychopaths serial killers so we just sort of explored all the areas where you can see what reality manifests as a result of an unhealthy brain this is his uh, his book you happier you can check out me on his show as well going into what my brain looked like please hit subscribe and the bell for notifications when an episode comes out and uh, please let us know in the comments what your thoughts are and what it is that you're doing for your brain health. Thank you for listening. You have a very unique introduction to people. You're like, I'm going to look at the inside of your brain and then the outside. <laughs> yeah. My wife tells the story that when I met her, I really, really liked her. And I'm like, you haven't seen the clinic. <laughs> she said, no one's ever asked to see my naked brain first. Okay. You said that the brain is the most complicated organ in the universe. Is that true? It's true. It's also the most amazing organ in the universe. It's 2% of your body's weight, but uses 20 to 30% of the calories you consume. So it's the most expensive real estate in your body. And the purpose of the body is to carry around the brain. Is there an approach that we have to life that could be tuned differently with that in mind? Well, everything, it changes. When you believe that the brain is involved in everything you do, how you think, how you feel, how you act, how you get along with other people, mm -hmm. it's the organ of intelligence, character, love, and every single decision you make. And when it works right, you work right. And when it doesn't, you don't. And with that belief, why would you ever let a child hit a soccer ball with their head? Why would you allow developing brains to be inside helmets and slam them up against other people? You'll it, ask my parents. It just doesn't make sense when you think of it from a neuroscientist perspective. And as a psychiatrist, I get to see the fallout of when people hurt their brains. But ultimately, brain health starts with love. That, you know, I often say Freud was wrong. Penis envy is not the cause of anybody's problem. I've not seen it once in 40 years. Uh, although you may have a different perspective being a female in a very male-dominated sport. Um, <laughs> but it's brain envy. If, if we learn to really love 
and care for our brains, our society will be so much better. Okay. Like outline the most important things then if you were, if you were, if that's the truth, if we're moving forward, we're going, we're going to make, we're going to, we're going to create brain envy by taking care of our brains. What is it that we need to do? We'll start there. What do we, what is it? What, what are some basics? So I think of it as three things. Okay. It's brain envy. You got to care about it. Avoid things that hurt it. You got to know the less. Yeah. And do things that help it. Again, know the list. And when you and I were together, we talked about bright minds. Right. That if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it, if it's headed for trouble, we have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. But ultimately, I worked with BJ Fogg at Stanford for six months on creating tiny habits for brain health. And the mother habit, the most important habit is this three-second question. You just ask yourself, is this good for your brain or bad for it? (laughs) And if you know the list, and quite frankly, most second graders know the list, I went to my daughter's second grade class and I wrote 20 things on the board and I'm yeah. going to separate them for me. Good for your brain or bad for your brain. And they got 19 out of 20 things right. Okay. The so only thing that missed was orange juice, which is bad for your brain because it's too much sugar. But other than that, you know, people sort of have a sense alcohol is really not great for your brain. Marijuana is not really great for your brain, hitting soccer balls with your head's probably bad for your brain if you know your brain is soft and your skull is hard. Um, But bright minds, for me, it helps bring it home in a more scientific way. And so, for example, B is for blood flow. Low blood flow is the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's. Mm. And you had beautiful blood flow, which was a huge shock. Uh, given <laughs> your agree. history, right? I agree. Uh, I even yesterday, Mindy adjusted my neck and she's like, Ooh, you're Atlas. And she like adjusted me. And, um, and, uh, you know, even from that perspective, it seems like, you know, that would pinch things off too. <laughs> you know, what are the things that lower blood flow? Um, not exercising, right? Excessive caffeine, nicotine, um, erectile dysfunction. And I I don't know if you know, but the statistics are scary. How much of that exists? 40% of 40-year-olds have erectile dysfunction. 40% of 40-year-olds, 70% of 70-year-olds. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm not okay with this. But it comes from our poor diets, our lack of exercise, our incidence of diabetes. Mm. And um, if you want to increase blood flow, so each of these risk factors go, well, how do you prevent it? Right. Um, Exercise, probably the most important thing you can do. Beets, cayenne pepper, the supplement ginkgo. Um, All of these things can increase blood flow. And so I want people to have blood flow envy. 
because just so important. So whatever is good for your heart is good for your brain. And whatever is bad for your heart is bad for your brain. And mm -hmm. it turns out sexual function. And it seems like a basic question. But what is the what is the brain's function? And I'm only I'm asking that because, well, one, it's just I'm just kind of curious what your answer is. But also there's just so much curiosity around like how the body works, what is our reality, consciousness and how everything plays in. So what do we know? Because there's a lot that we don't know about the brain. Is that accurate, too? You know, people say that a lot. But there's a whole bunch we do know. And if you hurt certain parts of your brain, you tend to have certain problems. So if you hurt the front part of your brain. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra, one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. Well, it's the executive part of the brain. It's involved in focus and forethought, judgment, impulse control, organization, planning, empathy, learning from the mistakes you make. Mm -hmm. So what I like to teach people to do is how to have better frontal lobes. Mm -hmm. And in that way, they have a better life because they know what they want. And they see the future on how to get it. Mm -hmm. And then they act in ways that are consistent with their goals. Mm -hmm. So for all of my patients, I do an exercise I love called the one-page miracle. Mm -hmm. On one piece of paper, write it down. What do you want? Relationships, work, money, physical, emotional, spiritual health. What do you want? And then another tiny habit after you do that is before you go to do anything or say anything, you just go, well, does it fit? Does my behavior fit the goals I have for my life? And so many people have never, like if, if you have a good business, you have a plan on what are you going to do this quarter and this year and three to five years from now? Most of my patients I've seen over the years, they have no plan. And so they end up going from crisis to crisis. But that's what your frontal lobes do, is mm -hmm. they plan, they organize, and they keep you on track. And when they're hurt from a head injury or heavy metal exposure or um, a near drowning episode, sure. their level of impulsivity is high. And they don't get their goals. 
So it's sort of like you driving without good brakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if you imagine yourself in a race car at the top of a mountain and you don't have good brakes, you're not getting to the bottom and you may die in the process. Not in one piece. That's, that's what happens when people have low frontal lobe function. Now, if you have high frontal lobe function, it's like the brake's always on. So those are people who have OCD. Oh. And they can't, it, it's, they can't stop stopping themselves to either do a ritual or a bad thought. Mm-hmm. And so it's always about balance. So, so the purpose of the brain is to be aware and control your life. It's to think, it's to feel, it's to act, it's to interact. When it's not healthy, and I've seen a whole bunch of unhealthy brains, I have over 100 murderers that we've scanned, um, their brains are not healthy. Yeah, well, I was very curious about that. That was um, definitely, I wanted to get to that with this Dahmer documentary on Netflix being so popular. I think it even, I think I even saw it said that it was one of the most popular on Netflix, uh, Netflix history. What is it that you've seen with um, evil people, sociopaths, psychopaths, serial killers? I mean, I guess I can't say that you, I don't know if you've had serial killers in there before, but what have you seen with um, the brains of people? Actually, have you ever, have you ever been able to take someone from a prison or someone that has been sentenced um, for something extreme and, and done any testing on those brains? Lots of them. Yeah, no, it's not uncommon if you're in the clinic that somebody shows up in an orange jumpsuit and handcuffs and shackles and, um, I had one guy with a cobra tattoo on his skull. He was a pretty wicked, at least his behavior was wicked. And, you know, what I learned is that people that do bad things often, not always, but often have bad brains. And so I've testified in death penalty cases and, um, you might remember Kip Kinkle, who in 1998 murdered his mother and father. So he brought weapons to school. He got arrested. His mom and dad picked him up from jail at six o'clock at night. And sometime between six o'clock at night and eight o'clock the next morning, he murdered his mom and dad. And then he went to his high school in Springfield, Oregon, and shot 25 people. Um and based on my work, they scanned him at Oregon Health Sciences University, and they sent me the scans, 15 years old. It's got the most damaged 15-year-old brain I'd ever seen. And, you know, he murdered his mother. So I don't exactly know why, but it could have been a lack of oxygen at birth. It could have been an infection. It, um, it was something poisoning that poor boy's brain. Now, I always think of people in four big circles. We have a biology, so the physical functioning of our brain and body. We have a psychology, which is how we think and our development. We have a social circle, um, what's going on in our life, right? How are we doing in school? What are our relationships like? Do we have money? And a spiritual circle, which is, so why the heck do you care? You know, why do you think you're on the planet? What is your deepest sense of meaning and purpose. And I see you as a very purposeful person. Mm -hmm. When when you think of serial killers, 
they have problems in all four of those circles. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code SOMNIUM to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. Because quite frankly, you can have a bad brain and never do anything bad. And so Kip, what I got to know about him is there are trouble in all four of those circles. His purpose in life was to be a mass murderer. Um, he had very bad thinking and was isolated and disconnected. Hmm. And yet I scanned Byron Katie. She talked about it publicly. She's a spiritual teacher mm-hmm. and yep. she had a terrible look of brain. And wow. before she had her awakening, she woke up on the floor of a halfway house in 1986 and realized that when she believed her thoughts, she suffered. But when she didn't believe her thoughts, she didn't suffer. I mean, so cool, so powerful. She had a bad brain, but a wonderful spirit, if you will. Yeah. And so, so it's not all brain. Mm-hmm. But whenever you see someone who does something bad, yeah. we should ask ourselves the question. It's what's going on in their brain. and. Uh, it's fascinating. Like Dahmer, I would have loved to have Dahmer's brains. I have fantasy brains. Like, <laughs> you know, guys have fantasy women. <laughs> I have fantasy brains. Did you and watch the Dahmer? Did you watch it? I, I've watched part of it. It's so okay, well, dark. Yes. And, and a lot of people can't get past the first episode. Like, it's struggle. I watched the whole thing, but at the, I, I don't think it's, too big of a deal I, but at the end um they there's a there's an I, one of the parents wants to have the brain for research to try and understand what really happened with them but Dahmer's will said that he wanted to be cremated as quickly as possible and so you know the scene at the end is the brain going into the you know into the fire well i've done um i have the spec scan on a serial killer from new wow. york uh, the son of Sam, and he has a very damaged frontal lobe. And front, your frontal lobes are where you have empathy and forethought and judgment. Now, mm-hmm. some of these serial killers, think Ted Bundy, they're really affecting. So you can't argue that they couldn't plan, you know, that their yeah, planning was impeccable. Right. But there's also something fascinating to me called the arousal template. So Mm. why would you get off on killing? And there's something in their childhood where when they killed something, there was some excitement involved in that. And I think with Dahmer, that was, in fact, the case. Yeah, with the animals. And, you know, it was kind of, Um, he did it with his dad. And it was interesting and exciting. And he had a poor childhood with parents that left him alone a lot. And, you know, there's a lot of factors there. And. Um, so, you know, why does someone develop a foot fetish or, you know, a, we call them paraphilias that one guy that would have sex with cows and it's like, okay, what's that about? It's because at some point in their past, an incident 
happen that aroused them, their brain produced a lot of dopamine and they're like, oh, I like this. So it could be shoes or cows or whatever unusual thing. I think sometimes it's violence. Wow. So what is it that makes the brain such a recorder, such a memory recorder? Well, that's sort of the cool part that's also a curse. And uh, the hippocampus is one of the major memory centers in the brain. And it tends to be larger in females, which is why she still remembers that bad thing you did 15 years ago. Um, where you're having trouble remembering the day you were married. Um, Right. And the hippocampus, hippocampus sits in front of the pineal gland, sort of in the middle of the brain. Is that right? So think of it as right behind your eyes. Okay. So it's, it's toward the inside. So there's one left and one right on Mm -hmm. the inside of your temporal lobes. Mm -hmm. And it's right next to the amygdala. So the amygdala is... Uh, an area that often responds to threat and stress and anxiety. The hippocampus is involved with mood and memory, but also spatial awareness. And it's really cool in that the hippocampus is one of the only areas of the brain that continues to make new neurons throughout life. So every day, you make about 700 new baby hippocampal stem cells. So think of the hippocampus, which is Greek for seahorse because it's in the shape of a seahorse. So every day you're making about 700 new baby seahorses every day. And I use this analogy with my drug addicts. I'm like, you know, if you don't stop, you're murdering the baby seahorses. And for my patients who are animal lovers, they just get so mad at me. It's like, Dr. Raymond, that's so unfair. You know, I love animals. Now, and Uh, that never drops off. You're saying that's a static? Never drops off. But why my daughter's is more likely to stick than mine is because she's much younger and theoretically should have better blood flow. But it's why I have blood flow envy that even at 68, I want to have a young brain because I want those hippocampal cells to live. Okay, because that stores things because it'll stick. Things stick, uh, something you learn, something you hear. So new learning helps grow them. Exercise helps grow them. So if you exercise and then learn something new, well, that's the best way to do it. So play table tennis and then work on your new language or your piano, whatever it is you're learning to grow your brain. And, and, you know, it goes back to avoid bad, do good. So if we think of the R, retirement and aging, if you're in a job that does not require new learning, you're more likely to get Alzheimer's disease because you're not activating and if if you think mm. of you know a discussion with you which i think is very important to have for professional athletes is well they retire often in their late 20s or early 30s right and it's like if they don't go to what's next yeah they get depressed in yeah. large part because they're not feeding their hippocampus and those seahorses are dying 
because they're not getting the nourishment of yeah. new learning. And many athletes, when they retire, they don't continue exercising. And so when I did my big NFL study, we scanned and treated 300 NFL players. Um, half of them were obese because they're like still eating what they ate when they were playing, but not exercising with that intensity. Sure. Well, and also if they're like an O-line guy, they have to keep their weight up because weight moves weight. You know, like when you lean in, when you lean in wearing, weighing 325 versus 175 or 225 is a big difference. Um, what did you, yeah, the CTE thing really like intrigues me, of course. Um, so, you know, being someone that drove with helmets, basically, if you have to wear a helmet, it's probably dangerous for your brain. Right. <laughs> well, and people have the idea that helmets protect you. They actually protect you from skull fractures. They don't protect you from concussions because inside your skull, your brain is not fixed. It floats. Right. And so if you hit a wall at 200 miles an hour, well, you're going 200 miles an hour, which means your brain is going 200 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden, boom, it stops. And so inside your brain, it's right. very much like shaken baby syndrome, which is, is definitely not a good thing. You had an amazingly beautiful brain. So for some people, um, their brain is resistant. And what I mean, there's a term I love called brain reserve. Okay. Which is the extra tissue you have to deal with whatever stress comes oh. your way. Okay. And so some people go into the wall and they're permanently damaged oh, yeah. and other people not. Well, sure. Why? Yeah. It depends on the health of the brain they brought into that accident. Mm -hmm. And so if your parents wanted you, if they ate reasonably, healthy if they gave you nutrition educational opportunities if they loved you and weren't chronically unhappy with each other so putting you under chronic stress when you go into that accident your brain's much healthier mm -hmm. than so for example i adopted my two nieces mother drank when they were pregnant so right away they have less brain reserve and then they moved a lot and there was chronic yes. fighting and stress. So when I adopted them, um, we had a whole bunch of work to do to boost their reserve and help them live, you know, healthier lives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the correlation between um, like CTE and the aggressive nature that comes out it sounds almost like a sociopath or someone that does bad things because there's lots of you know there's stories of of former players you know they commit suicide they 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 seem to act out of the ordinary in some kind of way um what area of the brain is is responsible for that and what is the what are the findings with um all of your research with CTE so I've published four studies on our NFL work, and the most common finding is decreased activity in the front part of their brain. Okay. 
the forethought, judgment, impulse control, mm-hmm. planning, empathy, um, decreased activity in both their temporal lobes, mm-hmm. memory, mood stability, temper control, mm-hmm. and decreased activity in their cerebellum in the back bottom part of their brain. And that's sort of the quality control part of your brain. It's mm-hmm. sort of the last check before a thought gets out of your mouth okay. or a behavior gets out of your body. And, um, and these are like incredibly um, coordinated athletes. You know, their reaction times were just off the charts, even seeing me many years later. Um, but the cool thing is when I started my study, the NFL was in active denial that they had a problem. And I'm like, okay, somebody's got to do something about this. So clear, like, let's not lie about it. Playing football is a brain damaging sport. Own it. Because if you don't admit you have a problem, you can't do anything to solve the problem. But what we discovered that I'm so excited about is 80% of our players got better when we put them on a brain rehabilitation program. Well, how cool is that? Amazing. Because that it it sounded like to me when I heard about CTE, I was like, (gasps) like the damage is done. You know, like that there's just, you know, you have CTE. Um, But that is amazing. It's reversible. And you got it. The earlier you start, the better. And the lore, see, a lot of players won't come and get checked because they're like, mm-hmm. I don't want to know I have CTE that is permanent and irreversible. That's the lore going around our society right, right. now. Right. And I'm like, no. And we publish this in a scientific journal. 80% of our players get better. Not a lot of athletes are reading scientific journals. No, that's true. I was a consultant on the movie Concussion with yeah, Wilson. Yeah, I watched and, it, of course. And I was actually written into the script. Peter oh, Landisman is the writer and director of Concussion. And he he's like, you're like the only one talking about hope. And so I have the joy of being written into a script and the pain of being written out because they decided it was going to be a movie of David versus Goliath with Dr. Amalo, who's a friend of mine against the NFL. And I keep bugging Peter and I'm like, you need to do concussion too. You need yeah. to tell people there's hope that if you do the right things, you can be better. Right. Obviously the earlier you start, the better. And a lot of sophisticated players actually have hyperbaric chambers in their homes. Yeah. So uh, I love that. I just did a presentation for the coaching staff, the Miami Heat, Mm -hmm. and they actually told me about some of the players who have hyperbaric chambers in their homes. Yeah, well, you know I have one. I love that. (laughs) And in our conversation, it was such a high recommendation for people. Um, and why is that so good? Why is hyper? I mean, is hyperbaric chamber something you think that, like, generally speaking, should be part of? Should be everyone should be thinking about using it, or is there a certain something, some some symptom or a trigger, or maybe a, a you know, maybe being a former former athlete? Is there is there something that you'd say? You know, well, if you have low blood flow, 
Hyperbaric oxygen is really good. I recommend it to almost everybody that I see on imaging has low blood flow. If you've had a concussion, and even now, the and probably when you were racing, the concussion protocol was rest. And I'm like, that is just so dumb. <laughs> you know, you have to put the brain in a healing environment, and that's not rest. Um, so I think for concussions, it's awesome. Yeah. For people who had strokes, it's been found to be really helpful after you've had surgery. So a lot of people don't know that general anesthesia can be bad for the brain. So if we go back to bright minds, the T is toxins. And children who have general anesthesia have a higher incidence of ADHD and learning problems. Uh, older adults that. who have anesthesia have a higher incidence of dementia that mm -hmm. anesthesiologists never tell you um we're going to do general anesthesia and i may lower your iq points like eight to why 10. does it reduce blood flow what is it about anesthesia you know it's not the short-term anesthesia like you know they give you propofol for a dental procedure it's the general anesthesia for some vulnerable people. It decreases blood flow significantly. Mm -hmm. And like I'm a psychiatrist, why do I care about that? Because <laughs> if you have low blood flow, you're more likely to get depressed. Yeah. You're more likely to have brain fog. You're more likely to drop and lose words. Mm -hmm. I want to clarify concussions real quick because I feel like for me, a lot of people have asked me, how many concussions have you had? And I'm like, I mean, it's got to be a scale. I'm like, I don't know. I've had like two or three that I had like symptoms from, meaning that night or yeah, it's usually that like sort of like isolated to the day. But I, I definitely had some some effect. But I was like, I also hit the wall probably, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 times. I don't know. I, I hit the wall a lot. I raced for 27 years. I crashed in go-karts. I crashed in race cars. So I'm curious. Because I think that this is an applicable question to football or soccer or anything else where there's not a symptom, but you have an impact to the head. You butt heads when you're tackling, you hit it, you, you, you take a header on a soccer ball, whatever it may be. What is it that actually deems an impact a concussion? Well, technically, it's when you have when you're symptomatic. Really? But the question is, what does more damage, the big hits or the little hits? Okay. Joe Lewis actually said it best, the famous heavyweight champion boxer. Mm. He said, it's not the big hits that cause dementia. It's the thousands of little hits. And so if you think of Navy SEALs, for example, they do thousands of breaching exercises where they're blowing up things. And that is a sub-concussive blow. You think of an offensive line person in practice and games, yeah. they end up with thousands. Right. Of oh, yeah. And we looked at, you know, on a football field, what's the worst position? You know, what pattern gives you the worst brain? And it was offensive linemen. The okay. second one was linebackers. Mm -hmm. And then defensive linemen, um, and then tight ends, uh, quarterbacks and defensive backs actually had the best brains 
because yes, they get big hits, but they don't get the thousands of little. So those aren't concussions then. So you're, but you're, what you're saying though, is those aren't concussions, but they are brain injuries. They're sub concussive blows. And it's like, so what happens in a concussion? Well, the brain starts to swell. Um, Blood vessels get ripped. So you get these micro bleeds, neurons tear. And um, it's not a good thing, right? So if Mm. you think of the brain as the consistency of soft butter, Mm. tofu, custard, somewhere between egg whites and jello. Doesn't seem like I should have taken butter on a 240 mile an hour ride. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) And your skull is not smooth inside. It has sharp bony ridges. Why? And so, you know, God and I have had this discussion several (laughs) times. It's like, why didn't you put bumper guards over that sharp bony ridge that's right next to the amygdala? Or in racing, they'd be soft. They would be safer barriers. Like they used to have walls and you just crash into it. And then they created safer barriers, which was a wall in front of the wall that had essentially it was movable. It wasn't locked down and it, and it, and and it compressed into foam. For safer barriers. Athletes are so important. Um, and just giving a little forethought to their health is, is so important. I, I've had season tickets to the Lakers for like ever. And when Kobe Bryant was playing with Lamar Odom, it came out, I think it was 2007, the NBA championship, that Lamar Odom was eating $80 of candy a week. And so I wrote an op-ed piece that got published in the New York in the Los Angeles Times. Like, why are why do they not have a nutritionist for somebody they're paying $14 million a year and not teaching them? And, and I bring up that story specifically in the concussion. They did a study with rats and um, they gave rats a head injury. Not very nice, but they were doing a study. And they gave one group of rats their normal, healthy diet. The other group of rats, their normal, healthy diet plus fructose or fruit sugar. And then they measured them at three weeks. At three weeks, the rats with the healthy diet without the sugar could run mazes they already knew. So their brains were healing. The rats who got their healthy diet plus fructose were still confused that sugar decreases healing because it's pro-inflammatory and it disrupts brain function. So why is Gatorade on the sidelines, right? In a brain damaging sport, it's, it's, it's just nuts. What should they have? From a neuroscience perspective, I mean, you know, I mean, they could have electrolyte powders, that don't have added red yeah. dye sodium just yeah yeah some kind of sodium supplement that will help you retain right. water and stay hydrated so um so what is the right diet then i mean this is always such a hot topic anyone listening is probably interested in health and wellness and i feel like diet is one of those things that comes and goes and waves and ebbs and flows and new stuff emerges and something that was great is horrible and the next thing comes along so what is the like what is the most healthy diet for your brain so i think really all 
effective long-term diets say the same things, that high quality calories, and calories matter, um, but the quality actually matters more. In a society where 72% of us are overweight, we're consuming. Like for example, Americans are drinking nearly 500 calories a day, where in 1982, that number was 225 calories mm. a day. That extra 275 calories puts 25 pounds of fat a year on your body. Mm. So stop drinking your calories is what I would say. Mm. Um, Water is really important. I don't think anybody says that's not a good thing. Your brain is 80% water. So your body is 70% water. So being dehydrated by just 2% decreases your spatial awareness. So for race car drivers, it's absolutely critical to be hydrated. Oh, and, and this explains why flight, after this explains after like drinking. If you drink the next day, you're dehydrated. And you're like, you're just not sharp. You're you're like, you lose your train of thought. You have fragmented thoughts. And that's probably from dehydration right. of the brain. Correct. Partially. So caffeine dehydrates you. Alcohol dehydrates you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just not drinking enough water. Mm-hmm. Um, high quality protein. Protein is absolutely essential for brain function. Um, healthy fat. So I know for a long time, fat was demonized, but 60% of the solid weight of your brain is fat. So if somebody calls you a fathead, say thank you. It's really important. Avocados, nuts and seeds, green leafy vegetables, healthy oils, um, clean, sustainable fish. All of those are really, in fact, there's a study from the Mayo Clinic that people who are on a fat-based diet 42% less risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. But people who are on the standard American diet, uh, think bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, fruit juice, sugar, have a 400% increased risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. And so carbs are not the enemy, but there are smart carbs and there are dumb carbs and the dumb carbs are sugar and then foods that quickly turn to sugar. Um, And then if you have this fruit fall into that. uh, So I think you should probably have two or three times the number of vegetables to fruit, Mm. but I'm a huge fan of blueberries. They're like, my go-to, I had a cup this morning in my yeah. shake. Uh, they should be called brain berries uh, because of the plant medicines mm. that are in them. So I think berries are awesome. Plums are amazing. It's the high glycemic fruits that you yeah. should be careful with, like mangoes and pineapple and watermelon, dates. Uh, but you know, it's as long as it's not fruit juice. Got I'm it. generally a fan of it. And if you're struggling, if you struggle with anxiety or depression, I think it's a good idea to go on an elimination diet. Get mm. rid of sugar, gluten, dairy, corn, and soy, artificial mm. dyes and sweeteners. Um, 
and I'm shocked at the number of my patients who don't need me anymore when they go on the right diet. In fact, I have one story I love. We saw this guy in our New York clinic who'd had ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, three times for depression and had been on every antidepressant you can imagine, had seen a therapist for a long time. And I'm like, let's try an elimination diet. Let's eliminate all the potential bad actors. And, you know, he was so tired of trying to be better. He's like, Mm -hmm. okay. And no lie, within three weeks, he's better. He's happy, motivated. His energy's better. He's not thinking of killing himself. And I'm like, all right, let's add back gluten. Nothing happened. Let's add back dairy. Nothing happened. Like, let's add back corn. He said within 20 minutes, he had a vision of a gun in his mouth pulling the trigger. Wow. Well, let's break up with corn. Yeah. And I love corn, but it doesn't love me back. Which, you know, I love that because ultimately you're in a relationship with food. And I don't know if you've ever been in a bad relationship, but I've been in bad relationships in the past. And I'm 40, definitely. I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) And I'm damn sure not doing it with food. Right. I mean, I have control and it's like, oh, but I love Rocky Road ice cream. Yeah, but it doesn't love you back. Right. And Drew Carey said it best. I love, he's a comedian who lost a lot of weight. And he said, eating crappy food isn't a reward. It's a punishment. Oh, And and I knew when he said that he would stay healthy because ultimately if you're feeling deprived, then you're not going to keep doing the right thing. That you have to shift your mindset to doing the right thing is a sign of love. Right. And I love me. Yeah. Yeah. Diet plays such a big role in so many things. Um, Are there any supplements? Uh, um, I mean, I know we've talked about uh, happy saffron, um, but on top of diet, are there some staple supplements that you think everyone should take? Well, I mean, so much so, I believe in it so much, I started a supplement company. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I I know that, like, I know you've said, like, you have a supplement company, you recommend them, but, you know, you make what you want to have. And so... I make them for me, and I make them for our family. Yeah. And I think everybody should take a multiple vitamin. And we make Neurovite Plus, which is just so special, because it's got all the ingredients that I would want to take that would cost a whole bunch of money to put it all together. Everybody should take an omega-3 fatty acid supplement. And we have a brand new vegan one that's so special. Everyone should know their vitamin D level and work to optimize it. People Mm -hmm. who had low vitamin D died from COVID more than people who had healthy levels. Um, And then it really depends on your issue that if you tend to be sad. I'm a huge fan of saffron. There's a brand new study out today. So it makes the 25th randomized controlled trial with saffron showing it helps to boost your mood um, and decrease inflammation in your body. 
Yeah. So I was pretty excited about that. Yeah. I like 5-HTP for my warriors. Um, I like L-tyrosine for people who uh, have trouble focusing. I love ashwagandha and magnesium and theanine for anxiety. In fact, you, you know, I'm not a fan of alcohol. And my wife, the other day, we, we have something here called theanine gummies. Mm-hmm. And she goes, how many can I take? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you probably take three or four if you're really feeling anxious. Well, she takes three and then some GABA with it. And she looked drunk. I mean, like <laughs> literal. And so I'm thinking of marketing them as, you know, my alternative to wine. I will love, I would love to try that for you. I would love to try that. I'll do a beta test for you and let you know how it goes as I, of course, do love my wine. Um, what about, uh, what about your emotional state? You know, what about just your, you know, how important that is and how, how much control it has? Like, I'm just, you know, what about people that heal themselves and using the power of their mind? How does that happen? Well, let me give people two strategies that I use and like a lot. The first one is you need to control your thoughts. If your thoughts are controlling you, it's backwards. And how you control them is whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, write down what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And then ask yourself whether or not it's true. And I have a process in a number of my books, my new book, You Happier, mm-hmm. of takes yeah. you through five simple questions. Thank you. Takes you through five simple questions. And it is, it's, it's emotional freedom when you don't have mm-hmm. to believe everything you think. Like Katie Byron uh, said, stop believing what you think. I love that so much. Um, the second thing, obviously, I'm going to give you three, is when you go to bed tonight and every night, go what went well today. Mm. Put yourself to sleep by going on a treasure hunt, looking for what was right about your day. Now, the bad things will pop up. Imagine a big room, sweep them away. You can deal with that tomorrow. Mm. The point is, Put yourself to sleep with gratitude and positivity. Your sleep will be better. And then when you find you get really upset, there's something called bilateral stimulation. And I do a therapy. I love, I just did a session uh, called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's so powerful, especially if you've had some trauma in the past and who hasn't. But I also like a cousin to it called Haydening, which is when you get upset, grab your shoulders and Mm. just stroke down Mm. and do it for like 30 seconds. And you can do it like up to six times. And about two and a half years ago, my dad died and it was an awful day. and. I have had a complicated relationship with my father, but toward the last five years of my life, he was like my best friend. And I was horrified. Um, And a couple of days later, I'm at my mom's house and there's a picture of my dead dad in the mortuary in a stack of papers. 
And it just like, I felt like somebody slugged me. Uh, it really upset me. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was really angry. Somebody would be that thoughtless. And as I came home, I'm like, you treat people who have this problem. <laughs> and, and I, and I consciously, rather than get drunk and stop thinking about it, I thought about the picture and I did this. And I noticed after about 30 seconds, it went from on a scale of zero to 10, zero is it doesn't bother you at all. 10 is you're really unhappy about it. It was a 10 and it went to five. And then after the third time I did it, it went to zero. And then I kept doing it. I did it three more times and I fell in love with the picture because it was the what? last picture of my dad on earth. And when you have these tools to manage your mind and you're also managing your brain, it gives you this emotional freedom so that you can live in the present and love your life. I can't imagine how many people that would help if they just knew that technique. That is not hard to do. And it's also not a thinking exercise necessarily where you have to, because sometimes when you're in the state of anxiety or overwhelming sadness or fear or something, it's an, an inescapable to, to choose a different thought. But this isn't a thought. This is an action. It's, it's just so effective. But at the same time, don't be afraid of your thoughts. Right. You have to direct them. See, I would bet for you that racing, because you were so good at it, was mostly a subconscious exercise. Yeah, that you just knew what to do because yeah. you had done it for so many years. There's nowhere in school where people teach you to manage your mind. So it's always conscious managing it, where if you wrote down 30, or a hundred of your worst thoughts, and you brought them through those questions that I write about. <laughs> Pretty soon, subconsciously, you'll get a bad thought, and then you'll flip it. Yeah. And you'll go, well, is the opposite of the bad thought true? And But it, it takes work, right? You did not become great by wishing it. You became great by wanting it and working it. Right. If you're going to have an elite brain and mind, you've got to work it. It's like every day. Um, brain health, mental health is a daily practice. And I'm so grateful to you for having me on so that yeah. I could share my work. Uh, real quick, you had mentioned sleep. What is, it, what is it that's actually happening when we sleep with our brain? It washes itself. It cleans itself. It actually has a fluid system that is not open during the day. What? But when you go to sleep, it opens it. It's called the glymphatic system. So we have lymphatics in our body. Yeah. And they're open all day long, cleaning up the trash that builds up. Well, it's closed in your brain until you sleep. So if you're only sleeping four hours a night, it's like the cleaning crew didn't have enough time wow. to do its job and so i was when i was talking to the miami heat i'm like what if we did a study where we sort of saw how you know looked at how the players slept and then their shooting percentages 
because there is a study on soldiers who get seven hours of sleep are 98% accurate on the range, but those who only get six hours are 50% accurate. Five hours, they're 35% accurate, and four hours are only 15% accurate. So what if we made sleep a priority? And so rather than going out and having fun, going to bed and let the cleaning crew do their job, you're going to have a whole bunch more fun tomorrow. Right. So seven is the magical number. You know, probably seven and a half is Mm -hmm. the magical number because the brain tends to sleep in 90 minute cycles. And so you get five good 90 minute cycles. This book is really cool. You go into brain types. How is it that you're able to type a brain? Like there's uh, the spontaneous brain, spontaneous balance, persistent, sensitive, and curious. Cautious. Cautious. That's my bad writing. Right, because everybody has a different brain. And the idea of do these things and be happy, it totally depends on your brain. Mm. That the spontaneous type they love jumping out of airplanes. They love doing high risk behaviors. Um, the cautious type, not so much, but that actually makes them miserable. So it's very important to direct happiness to you yeah. rather than one strategy fits everybody. That's right. just ridiculous. And so know your type who runs toward fires versus people like me who run away from fires. Um, There's a very high incidence of ADD, our spontaneous group, in firefighters. Oh, really? So um, the persistent people love routine and ritual, and the Mm -hmm. spontaneous people hate routine. The persistent People hate surprises. The spontaneous people love surprises. And so can you imagine if you're married to someone, one's spontaneous, the other's persistent. You're not speaking the same language because your chemistry is different. Right, right. And so ultimately leading to your happiness and your emotions being really responsible for the health of your brain. And so you need to know what kind of brain you have to know what kind of lifestyle you should be curating for yourself to lead to the healthiest brain. And I think you break it down into those four big buckets too, the spirituality and psychology, right? Always, because that's just how I think about people. We don't treat diagnoses, we treat whole people. Yeah, it's so cool that you have the psychology um, aspect to be able to bring into brain health. So what's, uh, what's the next, um, what's the, the, the next thing you're hoping to, are you working on anything with the brain? Is there, what's the next frontier with the brain? Maybe something around consciousness? Oh, no, my big mission in life, and I'd love for you to help me with it, is I want to end mental illness. Yeah. I want to end mental illness by creating a revolution in brain I hate the term mental illness. I think it shames people. These are brain health issues that steal people's minds. And so if we can make brain health cool, you know, I think me coming on your podcast, that helps. Uh, If we can make brain health cool, then we can change what is really a, a damaging medical specialty. You know, I love being a psychiatrist. 
but I hate what it's turned into. You have this diagnosis based on these symptoms. Here's this medicine. And we're sicker now than we have ever been. Right. Um, cancers declined 27%. Suicide's gone up 33%. Why? We're working on the wrong paradigm. So I feel like I have this big mission. So I'm looking for help. Let's you know, do it. Okay. We, what What's the call to action? What's the call? I want to help promote that. So we actually have a foundation. We have a big event, oh. September, no, I'm sorry, December 7th. Okay. So I would love for you to come. But December 7th at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, we're going to have brain healthy food that is unbelievably delicious mocktails uh, that are so much fun. And um, we're going to brainstorm on how we can change the conversation away from mental illness to brain health. We actually have a preschool course, a high school course on uh, called Brain Thrive by 25 that decreases drug, alcohol, and tobacco use, decreases depression and improves self-esteem. I just, I need help because it's like I'm trying to change culture. When you have Girl Scouts selling cookies, you know that it's probably not going the right way. Well, you know, there's other there's other certain things that have happened in the past in, in recent time where you get a donut for something. So, you know, cookies and donuts are not going to solve the world, solve solve health issues. We can I feel like we can all probably agree with that. Well, I'm happy to help you with that mission. I love I love brainstorming. Um, but, you know, I just really think that, you know, thank you for writing so many books. I was trying to figure out how many books you have. And I was like looking online and I'm like, I don't. How many books do you have? Well, I'm old, so I've written a lot. I have 40 books. That's um, insane. That's so amazing. What a contribution. And I have a new one coming out in May and in March called Change Your Brain Every Day. It's oh. 366 short essays. That's cool. The most important things I've ever said. Because, you know, I just came to realize like physical health. And you've been working on your physical health and you know, it's a daily practice, right? From exercise and eating right. And it's, you got to do it every day. You can't be 50 pounds overweight on Monday, have a salad for lunch and expect to be trim on Friday. So no, you have to work it. The same thing is true for brain and mental health. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed getting my brain scanned. If anyone has the opportunity to get their brain scan, you have 10 clinics, um, and they're a, they have the means to doing it. I highly recommend it. It is um, so interesting as well as um, Im- important just to know if you have the means to do it um, because uh, this is the motherboard. It's it. Yeah. And if yeah. you love it, everything in your life is better. Cool. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.